0: Welcome to Balthasar, Beauty, Goodness, Truth, a series of conversations about the life and teachings of Swiss theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar, who is considered to be one of the most important Catholic intellectuals and writers of the 20th century. Incredibly prolific and diverse, he wrote over 100 books. He is also co-founder with Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger of the acclaimed theological journal Communio. It is the purpose of this series of programs to introduce some of the themes of Balthasar's work, and perhaps to help some understand better why Hans Urs von Balthasar is so important for modern theology and for the lived experience of the Church today. Balthasar, beauty, goodness, truth. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. In this episode, I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Rodney Hauser to discuss Hans Urs von Balthasar's the moment of Christian witness. Dr. Hauser joined the faculty of DeSales University in 1999 and was promoted to the rank of tenured professor in 2010. He holds a doctoral degree from Marquette University with a specialization in fundamental theology. His book publications include Hans Urs von Balthasar and Protestantism, the ecumenical implications of his theological style, How Balthasar Changed My Mind, co-edited with Larry Chapp, and Hans Urs von Balthasar, A Guide for the Perplexed. He has scholarly articles published in Communio, Nova Edvatera, and the Josephium Journal of Theology. In the Moment of Christian Witness, Hans Urs von Balthasar seeks to aid all those who are challenged both spiritually and intellectually by the call of Christ and the difficulties faced by a world hostile to Christianity. With a rich and deep spirituality, along with solid biblical exegesis, he counters an age of spiritual fads, self-centered goodisms, and reveals to the reader the origins of all those troubling elements in Christianity which claim that the real Jesus Christ is unknowable, the Gospels as merely the confused reflections of later Christians, and that Christian tradition— is a perpetuation of mythology. Balthazar will show that it's only through the embrace of the cross of Christ Jesus that the heart and mind can be illuminated by truth and offer an authentic Christian witness in today's world. We now begin our conversation with Dr. Rodney Hauser of the Moment of Christian Witness. Welcome, Dr. Hauser.
1: Thank you. It's an honor uh, to be a part of this project. I'm very excited about it.
0: I was thrilled when I first started talking to you about this project and you wanted to bring forward The Moment of Christian Witness by Hans Urs von Balthasar. What a powerful work.
1: When I was at Marquette back in the um, uh, 90s, we weren't really encouraged to read Balthasar, I'll put it that way, or John Paul II or, or Ratzinger. But that book in particular was the one that was most hated by many of the faculty members there at the time. And, and that's the one that, you know, really, uh, they, they they really rubbed them the wrong way. And, and it quickly became, at that time, kind of my favorite Balthazar book, Ever the Rebel, you know, but rereading it, you know, for this interview, it, it's it's amazing how well it's withstood the, the test of time, and uh, and how relevant I think it still is. You
0: know, it's amazing to me that just what you said, it he really did irritate people back in that day. And I don't understand exactly where that was coming from, do you?
1: You know, I think at, uh, in the 90s, especially in, in the Jesuit schools, it, there was really a stronghold of uh, Ronarians in almost all of the programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, ronner was the darling theologian of the American Catholic universities. And, uh, and of course, there were other factions with Rahner, but Rahner was definitely, I think, what I would call the center uh, the theological approach. And uh, my friend Bill Poirier, uh used to call it the American Rahner Trajectory Art. And that was such a stronghold. In fact, I don't know that anybody in the 90s yet at Marquette had written a dissertation on von Balthasar. I think I was the first or second... There was one that actually compared Balthazar disfavorably to Sheila Beeks, uh, but I was the first one to write a dissertation on Balthazar that actually was favorable towards his thought. Mm-hmm. And it was Father Raymond Garansky had just come in and joined the faculty, or I wouldn't have had anybody to direct it. So I think because in Moment of Christian Witness, Balthazar sort of goes after Rahner's disciples, a lot of people took the book uh, very, very personally.
0: I'm so glad you brought up this history, and I think it's important because I attended Jesuit College and Creighton University in Omaha okay, during sure. that period, so I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about as far as the teachings of Father Honor, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it does seem so curious and almost shocking to the sensibilities that in today's world, people are trying to lump them together and... It's just a lack of understanding of even history to embrace that, isn't
1: it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, they, they were they were very good friends, and especially in the beginning. So in the early years, uh, leading up to the council, uh, Ratzinger, von Balthasar, and Rahner were very much part of a, a similar sort of movement, uh, I guess you would say, kind of consider themselves all to be on the same side. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, uh, I have to speak now as a scholar a little bit. Already in the forties, Balthazar was having reservations about Rahner's thought, but those reservations at the time were very densely metaphysical and theological. Uh, there was no sort of polemic. There was, no, there was no visceral reaction to Rahner's thought. There was just a kind of theological reservation on Balthazar's part that never really, that theological reservation never changed uh, up until his, you know, his last works. that was always there but i think what happened after the council was that's when you got a sort of harder parting of the ways between the concilium school and the comunio school mm. and it had to do with a lot of different things i think the two schools of thought differed with regard to some of the radicalization of students and professors in the in the late 60s so Ratzinger, for instance left tubingen because the the atmosphere had become so politically charged that he felt like he couldn't teach Theology. You know, everything had to be immediately applied to political problems, and, and there was no room for contemplative, sort of pure theology, if you want to put it that way. And so he ended up uh, going to Heidelberg, I believe, so that he could actually do theology rather than just constantly addressing, you know, political theology. Metz was at Tubingen at the time, as was Moltmann, and as was Ernst Bloch, and that radicalization, I think which Balthasar, I think, kind of implicitly directs in this book in the second part when he talks about the system, it seemed to be too easy of an equation of quasi-Marxist activism with the gospel, that, that the two had become kind of conflated, if you will, mm-hmm. which was also, I think, the beginning of Ratzinger's and von Balthazar's worries about liberation theology. You, you'll notice in Balthasar's work, he almost never criticizes a particular liberation theologian. But underneath liberation theology, there is this European a uh, kind of Ernst Blochian sort of moment that Balthazar is very suspicious of. And, uh, and that's where he, he always saves his criticism for uh, the European underpinnings of liberation theology rather than liberation theology itself, which I think its preferential option for the poor and things like that, he, he was, he's actually quite sympathetic with. I think the late 60s, the way the two schools of thought began to see the council, one as seeing the council as the beginning of the church's making its peace with the modern world, and one side thinking that we have to be really careful with kind of what that means.
0: I think it's incredibly important. I mean, I keep using that word, but I think it's an imperative today because what was it, Cicero, that says, if you don't understand your history, you're going to remain a child forever, yeah. or others will say you are, you're bound to repeat it, and yet we see that happening today in so many different ways, and it's not necessarily happening just in, in the lofty halls of academia. It's happening now because of the dissemination of information right. through social media, and it's affecting everyone, including people like me, the average Pew person. Mm-hmm, um because mm-hmm. we're hearing so many different conflicting things even about people. Yes. And so you dismiss what they're even going to say or even their even their teachings because we don't necessarily want to even take the time to understand or go deeper.
1: Right. Yeah, no that's a very big danger. And I think also kind of the relevance of this book can be seen in some of that is uh, when I look at my you know Facebook uh, in the morning, I have Facebook friends that are you know, kind of far right. And I have Facebook friends that are far left, all of whom, you know, are, quote, Catholic. But the thing I worry about is that they haven't allowed the faith to sort of dictate where their thought goes on these issues. The faith doesn't seem to have had any, it, it's gotten absorbed in one of two directions without criticism, so to speak. And And that's what Balthazar's worried about, that, that there's something about modernity that swallows up the faith within it so much that the faith loses its saltiness, to quote the Bible.
0: I find it a a tad ironic because we are finding ourselves in this moment, our present Christian moment, Mm -hmm. that we're following people as opposed to what Balthazar would implore, I think, follow Christ. Yes. Yes. Keep your gaze on him. I mean, that's... For Balthazar, at least for me, as someone who has really dove into uh, even his the shorter tomes, the the, mm-hmm. the shorter works, the books, that seem to be a little bit more geared towards me, yeah, <laughs> as yeah, it yeah. were, it's always the same message. He's always yes. pointing us back into an encounter with the Word, and in capital yes. W. Would you say that's true?
1: Absolutely true. And, and that's going to be uh, that's going to be a central thesis or a central theme, I should say, running through all of his works is, and this is, this goes back to again, the forties where his initial worry about Rahner is that this notion that we kind of already implicitly know God in every act of knowing gets taken to such an extreme that there's nothing that kind of can surprise us when God reveals himself to us. And for Balthazar, both out of a sense of our limitation as finite creatures, but also out of a profound sense of our fallenness. The emphasis is that there's going to be something that Christ asks of us that is not going to sit well with us. And it's not just going to be a little bit of discomfort. It's literally going to make us want to kill Christ because something he's asking of us is, is going to make us either, either we're going to die or we're going to crucify Christ one or the other. And that real profound, dramatic sense is something that Balthazar has had from his earliest theological writings, which I think he thought had become a bit attenuated in in Rahner's writings. And then that comes out, especially in Rahner's Disciples, which tended to kind of just conflate modern, let's say, left liberalism usually with the gospel of Jesus Christ
0: again before we dive into even more the heart of the book I
1: yeah just from
0: what you just said we're talking about those two men were both Jesuits uh, yep. it was Balthasar at the time of this particular awareness and both steeped in the spiritual exercises of Saint Ignatius yes. yep and if you've ever done the 30 day or maybe you've done an eight day retreat I've guide anyone yes okay, yes you end up having that moment yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a pretty profound moment where you're, right. you're called to that exactly what, what you just described Balthazar as saying that as the Christian, you will need to deal with that moment.
1: Yes. And, and I think in fairness to Rahner, Balthazar would say Rahner held it together. You, know, you, could, you could take passages out of context that make it sound like he's kind of selling the farm, but when you read him carefully, especially his, uh, his essays in his theological volumes, he's very, very careful to make the right kinds of distinctions. And when Balthazar was asked about this book, you know, why did you kind of go after Rahner? He he made it very clear that it wasn't Rahner per se he was going after. It was the the sloppy use of Rahner's thought by his the next generation of Rahnerians that he Mm -hmm. was really uh, concerned about. But then he does qualify and say there is some fault that lies with Rahner on this because there are places where he is so ambiguous. He should have been clearer.
0: That's so interesting. Sloppy yeah. thought. Boy, Yes, we have yeah. a lot of sloppy. Th- I'm as guilty as the <laughs> next person. I mean,
1: <laughs> no, I know. We all have to be careful, right? Because I, I could get sloppy very easily if I'm not careful.
0: <laughs> well, and that's the beauty of having these works. I, I mean, yes, yes. To, to begin to dive in and kind of train the brain to think again. Right. So in the beginning of the moment of Christian witness, yeah. we encounter the crucial moment in Christian experience. The, yeah. it, it helped me with my German,
1: Ernst Fall. Ernst, Ernst Fall, yeah. It's, it's oh. just like, it, uh, almost like it looks, yeah.
0: Break it open for us. It'll guide us into this work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you think about the two uh, ladies uh, that he has in mind, you know, C- Cordula, and the other one is uh, Genesius. But if you think about what they did respectively, it really helps to bring the thing into focus. So, well, the latter was a, an actress, the Romans would act out parodies of Christian beliefs. You know, they would, they would spoof it to make fun of it because the Christians were kind of the laughing stock of the, you know, early Roman empire. So they would do these plays where they would make fun of Christian beliefs. And it was in the middle of one of these performances that this lady realized that she was actually blaspheming. And so she immediately quit doing the play and stood up for Christ and his church. And for that, she was killed. But the drastic conversion there is, is what Balthazar's trying to put his finger on, that that there's no conversion in a sense that that isn't drastic in its own way. It has to be drastic because there's something in all of us that is a rebel until we've been given the grace of Christ. None of us are naturally Christian. And, and that's absolutely crucial for Balthazar's perspective in, in this book. So the the moment of Christian witness is that moment when we realize that following Christ means walking away from some things that we really, really hold on to as props to make us feel like we can kind of save ourselves, so to speak. So I, th- I was thinking when I was reading this of the rich young ruler, and it's such a powerful and kind of sad story. This guy comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to be you know, righteous? What do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you keep the commandments. And he says, well, I've done that. And he says, okay, then t- sell all you have and follow me. And it said the man walked away sad because he was unwilling to part with his possessions. And obviously there's something in that, that, that parable about riches, about the danger of riches, uh, obviously. But it also extends much farther than that because it, it can be anything that we say, I'm going to give Christ everything except for this one thing you know and and that i have to have because without that i won't be happy or or something like that and uh so it's that radical moment that balthazar is trying to get to here that says if you're not willing to say yes to christ an unconditional yes to christ you cannot be his disciple
0: refers right off the bat to martyrdom i can't remember who it was i think it's attributed to flannery o'connor but saying that I think I could ever be a saint, but I might be a martyr if they killed me really quick. Yeah,
1: I think that was Flannery and Conrad. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel the same way, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'd I have mean, have to be really quick and painless. Yeah, I, I don't know if
0: I could, I could find ways to kind of work around everything if you gave me <laughs> yeah, a little yeah, I, time.
1: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, right. No, but, but that's kind of it, right? And, and I think the, the sub-thesis there then is that this condition of the christian in the world is not for rare occasions when christians are living in really hostile regimes so i think we have a tendency to think that well there are no longer going to be any martyrs because we don't live in the roman empire anymore we're not dealing with nero you know or somebody like that we're we're, you know we're dealing with kind democracies kind of live and let live approach to things and so i think baltazar's worry is that we come to think that the the standard of martyrdom no longer really applies, that there's other ways in which we're going to be Christians in the modern world, and it's not going to be being martyrs. And of course, he doesn't mean martyrdom necessarily literally. I mean, Mary wasn't martyred. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she really is his paradigm for this, right? Even though hers was what he calls a bloodless martyrdom. But her martyrdom was her willingness to say yes to her son's crucifixion. And how what could be harder than that? I think most moms would maybe rather die oh yeah. Than, yeah, yeah, right? So, you know, it need not be that we're literally going to die for, for the gospel, but we're going to die in some way for the sake of the gospel, or we're not going to be disciples of Christ.
0: Boy, that dying, I think you expressed it fairly well, that we want to give up things, okay? Yeah. We may even want to give up certain sins that we, okay, that was it lays a guilt on us. Yes. And so, yeah, I eventually want to get there and I want to give that up. Yeah. But it's the stuff you don't want to give up, the things that <laughs> exactly. bring you comfort, the, the yes. things that allow you to exist in a peaceful plane. That's the kind of stuff that martyrdom calls for, doesn't it?
1: That's right. Yeah, because the, the things that uh, people are asked to give up, like the rich young ruler, for instance, are not sins necessarily. Being rich is not a sin. Some people inherit a ton of money, big deal, right? So it's, there's nothing sinful about that guy having money. You know, maybe he inherited it, maybe he earned it, whatever. But obviously what, what happens is his putting his trust in that money and thinking he can't be happy without it. And there's nothing sinful about Mary wanting her son to stay alive, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's obviously not sinful. But even that can become an idol. You know, if, if safety becomes so important to us that we're unwilling to risk ourselves for the gospel, then safety becomes sinful, even though it's not a sin in itself.
0: It's interesting what Balthazar does here in this first section, the decisive moment, that he presents something I don't think we, maybe I don't, I'll just speak for myself, I don't know if I ever contemplated or really pondered this, that he died for me, so yeah. I'll die for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think we embrace that first part. Boy, Jesus, you love me. You died for me. Yes, maybe the people in your life, but will you die to certain persons or things that maybe are even abhorrent to you?
1: That's right, yeah, yeah. And I think the other part of this that's really important is, first of all, the point you just made is absolutely uh, pertinent, that that we have to, Walter Starr says you have to come to the place where you, realize sort of an existential a, you have to give a real assent to quote newman this idea that jesus christ died for me as an individual uh Balthazar has this kind of what i would call a lovely individualism at times it's a, to kind of counteract a, a total collectivist approach to things i mean he, he's not an individualist but he he does appreciate the the individual aspect of the christian faith mm-hmm. and there's nobody in the world that can say yes for you to christ i mean it's it, it, it you know that that moment Cordula goes back to the men that had raped and killed her friends and said, Hey, I'm here too. That was just her. You know, there's nobody there to make her do that. You know, there's nobody there who could even hold her hand to, to help her do she had to, that's like mano a mano, you know, it's one-on-one. So that's the first point is that this realization that Christ died for me as an individual obligates me as an individual to give my entire life to Christ. And that's the first piece. The second piece, if I can jump there without getting too far ahead, is Balthazar has no illusions about this being something that we can kind of muster up some moral energy to achieve. The only reason that we can give our lives for Christ is precisely because he gave his life for us. The, the, The work, so to speak, he does on the cross is the work we get caught up in. And so it's an act of absolute pure grace for us to be able to give ourselves to Him. It can't be done through our own quote, moral energies. It's not a matter of just working up the, you know, the moral whatever fortitude. It has to be received before it can be given.
0: Hmm. He will always bring us to the challenge of faith, doesn't he? Yes. And, and, and you said the word, and I. This is something you see. Everywhere with him, it all goes back to the ascent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When we have said yes, right? You know, there are other areas where he'll talk about the gravity of a vow and yeah, and the yeah. relationship. But at its essence, faith—do we understand what it is? I mean, I think we believe, or I, I can say I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, and I do that. But I, I don't, I don't know if we have. A sense of what faith really means,
1: right? Yes, because that's that's the I think that's the reason we hold on to this or that thing as a kind of backup plan. You know, like if this doesn't pan out, I have this to fall back on, and that's right. what the rich young ruler, of course, is doing. He's he's hedging his bets. He wants to keep his money because he's not sure that if he follows Christ, that will actually get it done for him, so to speak. And so the, the failure on the part of the rich young ruler is precisely a failure to believe to believe that Christ really is all that he needed. That's a task.
0: It is, in a way, because you talked about the individualism. Balthazar has a section, I'm jumping to the the third aspect of this particular chapter on the decisive moment, but he talks about the loneliness of death and mission, that man dies alone. Yes, And it's different than feeling isolated. Because right. if you're in a relationship, you may be alone, but in that faith, it's a certainty of soul that you're not alone. Right. I, is it, am I making sense?
1: Yeah. No. That's that's exactly right. So both the are that stuff on death in there is just so powerful. That whole section and the loneliness of it, and I was reminded of Ratzinger. I think in Introduction to Christianity, he talks about when you're a little kid and you are afraid of the dark. It's actually not that you're afraid of the dark, right? It's, it's that what darkness does to us is, is it separates us from our loved ones. It separates us from our surroundings. And I remember when I was a little kid, when I, we moved to our house when I was seven years old, I had my own room for the first time. And I remember I hated going to bed because it was, I was going to be alone in that room in the dark. Mm-hmm. And I would cry or I would you know do whatever keep saying I needed a drink of water or whatever it was, every ploy to, to not go to bed. And sometimes my mom would come up and she would sit on the bed and I couldn't see her because it was so dark in there. And she would just like put her uh, hand on my leg and say, hey, it's going to be okay. You're, you're going to be fine. You're going to wake up before you know it. And all of a sudden, I wasn't afraid of the dark anymore because mm-hmm. she was there, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Ratzinger says that it's not the dark we're afraid of. The thing that we're made for as human beings is communion. What makes death so scary is that death could be the end of communion, it could be the end of relationship. And that's, of course, that's why it really rubs against our our grain to die, right? And Balthazar says that that's what sin does to death. He doesn't deny that there might have been some kind of death even prior to the fall, you know, that there may have been some sort of natural way in which Adam and Eve, say, exited life when they were done, you know, whatever. But what makes death after the fall, what makes it so horrible is that it's the end of fellowship, And then Balthazar does this wonderful paradox that he gets from the church fathers, you know, this joyful exchange. He he loves to play on these exchanges. So Christ, who is the third or the second person of the Trinity and who is in a perfect relationship of communion with the father and the Holy spirit is going to enter into the human condition. And he's going to experience the death that is now Darkened by sin, so he's going to experience that death that is now not just death, but it's also loneliness, isolation, alienation from God and other people. But because of the triune, love is so powerful, so to speak, and prior to sin and death, and posterior to sin and death, that loneliness that he suffers is not going to be the last word. The, the love between the persons of the Trinity, in other words, is more powerful than the loneliness caused by death even a sinful death because Christ dies, having taken the sins of the world on himself. So now what has to happen for us is we have to be willing also to go through the death that was paved the, the way that was paved by Christ so that we also can enjoy a communion that we've never even had in this life.
0: Wow. That's when not only uh, death to sin, but death to self. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing more lonely when you're consumed wallowing in your own self.
1: Oh yeah, right.
0: I know. And I've done it.
1: <laughs> I have. Yes, Snapchat. I'm good at it too. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's really kind of interesting that I think so. Narcissism, which I can I, I am prone to, is an attempt I think to make our lives perfectly comfortable for ourselves and not mm-hmm. be burdened by problems that arise when we give ourselves to projects or people or whatever right Mm -hmm. so the narcissist kind of closes themselves off in their own little world to make their life perfectly safe and comfortable but what's ironic is when we do that we actually end up being very very lonely right because we've Mm -hmm. now built up all these walls around us and we have put off friendships and put off relationships and we don't open up to people etc etc so Out of self-interest, we end up becoming isolated and then, of course, deeply unhappy. And Christ does it just the opposite. He makes an absolute gift of himself, even to the point of death. But in doing so, in that kind of self-forgetfulness, he gets this this communion of love, which is actually what we most deeply want. Even the narcissist wants love. They're just going about it the wrong way.
0: It's a self-reliant love. Yes, You know, yeah. I have to manipulate, I have to orchestrate. I know, you and I are much alike then, because I'm in the same way. <laughs> Once you realize it, you can't even rail against it. You can't right. even change that. The only thing right. you have to kind of surrender to the other and allow that to guide you, and in this case, yes. yeah. you have to surrender to Christ and allow right. his truth to be your lighthouse, what guides you in operating with others, because the decisions and the way that I did it, it only brought pain to myself and to others, ultimately, don't you think?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Yes, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. I love the very profound sense of paradox that Balthazar has in this book, but in all of his works where it's, it's always a kind of giving up something that you think is going to hurt you actually ends up making your life better and holding on to things you think are going to make your life better, you know, kind of end up making your life worse. And, and Christ lives that paradox from the moment, uh, you know, he's here, uh, you know, on earth, he lives that paradox, that total, Balthazar says he was almost reckless in his Mm -hmm. actions on earth. (laughs) At the one point, I think it's in the fifth part of that first chapter, he says, if we look at some of his actions, I mean, when he's cleaning out the temple, I mean, that is a reckless action. These people have power, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's going to make some very powerful people with a lot of influence mad at him but he does it with a kind of reckless abandon because he has to be about his father's business. But that's because he's already decided there's nothing he's not going to give to fulfill his mission.
0: Well, there's the word mission in Balthazar. You see that over and over the the mission. It's the mission of the father's will in the life of that person. Can we fall into the trap of thinking there's the bigger mission we're not to be concerned about that. You're concerned with the mission that you've been placed in. Does yeah, that make it, sense?
1: Absolutely, and it's very Ignatian. Balthazar is so thoroughly Ignatian, uh, you know, in his spirituality, but in his theology and everything. And that's that. One of the things, of course, Ignatius wants us to do is to discern by looking at our own individual circumstances. Why are we here? And I, there's that one part of the exercises where you kind of you think back and you, where was I born? who are my parents? Where do I go to school? What are my gifts? What are my talents? You know, et cetera, et cetera. As a way of preparing yourself to discern what is the specific task that Jesus Christ has in mind for me, right? And then finding that, of course, is the key to genuine happiness, even if it may cost us our dreams and ambitions. You know, I think about him as a guy who loved music, He loved literature. He had all of these interests as a young man. But when he got that calling, he had that very profound calling as a a teenager, all of that went out the window. You know, he he knew he wasn't gonna be able to pursue his dream to be a musician, say, or a literary critic or whatever. He was gonna be called to the service of the church.
0: This concludes part one of our conversation with Dr. Rodney Hauser discussing Hansers von Balthasar's The Moment of Christian Witness. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with many other episodes of this particular series, visit vonbalthasar.com. There, too, you can also access numerous audio excerpts from this book along with others in the Balthazar Library. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will consider subscribing to this podcast and liking it on whatever platform you may be hearing it on. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about vonbalthazar.com and join us for the next episode of Balthazar Beauty, Goodness, Truth.